I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of us have thought about the return of Christ last week, last month, last year. It's no brainer that most Christians would think about the second coming of Christ and the rapture if they are pressed from every direction. (laughs) Many years ago, a friend of mine said, would you please pray for the return of Christ before my balloon mortgage is due? (laughs) (laughs) When we're going through crushing experience, when we are facing crisis of major proportion, uh, we always think of the return of Christ. We think of the rapture. And, but in reality, these are not deep desire. It's just a, a, of a longing for heaven. It's just passing thing. The book of Revelation tells us that the days immediately before the return of Christ, uh, there's going to be such turmoil in every aspect of life, social life, political life, economic life, is going to be such turmoil that the faithful remnant will be crying out to the Lord, Come, Lord Jesus! Another sign of the nearness of the return of Christ, the Bible said, the love of many will grow cold. I can tell you, this one already has begun. It's already begun. So much so that Jesus asks in Luke chapter 18, verse 8, in the context there, He's talking about His return. He's talking about His second coming. And then He goes on to say, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on the earth? That always tears me up. And that is why Jesus, again, in Luke chapter 12, verse 37, He said, Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He returns. Now, the Bible uses this word awake, meaning in anticipation, waiting for the return of the Lord. Waiting in anticipation. When the Bible talks about being awake, it means readying oneself for His coming. Now, beloved, please listen to me. There can be no little doubt that Jesus Christ is coming back. His second coming will not be like His first coming. His second coming will be a time for the believer's complete redemption. His second coming will be a time of judgment. His second coming will be a time of Jesus reigning and ruling supreme. His second coming will be a time when His servants are going to reign and rule with Him. The second coming will be a time of seeing our loved ones who have died in the Lord. The second coming will be a time when the believer's rewards are going to be distributed. The second coming will be a time of joy and great glory for the believers. This was the longing expectation of the very first church, the early church. And that is why they used to greet one another, Maranatha, M-A-R-A-N-A-T-H-E, Maranatha. Can you say it with me? Lord, come quickly. But of course, the devil back then was doing what he's doing now, what he's been doing throughout 2,000 years, because the devil does not want any of the believers to live their lives in the light of the second coming. 
But the Scripture is very clear that everyone who knows and loves the Lord must live their lives in the light of His return. As a matter of fact, the Bible said that Paul was looking for that parousia, or the return of Christ. And when he came toward the end of his life, he said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, you look for it. What does that teach us? It teaches us that every generation, our generation, every generation must live in the light of the return of Christ. Because when the believers live their lives in the light of the second coming, they will live faithfully. They will work diligently. They will demonstrate spiritual zeal. They will live in the joy of the anticipation of that great day. And that in itself is going to lift you above the circumstances. But above all, that anticipation of that great day, the Bible said, helps us to purify ourselves. Purify ourselves with that hope. And beloved friends, you don't have to have a seminary degree to know that Satan does not like this, does not want this to happen. So what does he do? He will get the church to discount this absolute important doctrine and teaching. He will get them to focus on this life's problems. They get them to focus on these life circumstances only. He will get many to deny the reality of the second coming. He will place skeptics and false teachers and preachers in pulpits. And in the second Peter 3, the first ten verses, here you see Peter responding to these false teachers of his day in regard to the second coming of Christ. Beloved, I believe here in these verses, Peter is giving us a role model of a defense of the important doctrine of the return of Christ. He sets us an example to refute the false teachers, to refute the false preachers. Here Peter assures us that no matter what the heretics say, God's future judgment is certain, that God's future judgment is imminent. Now, let me recap, just for those of you who may have missed one or two, but give you a very quick recap. Second Peter chapter 1, we saw how Peter goes on the offensive, and he defends the Word of God as it is the inerrant Word of God. He said it is God-breathed, all of it, not parts of it, all of it. And then in chapter 2, he warns us. He warns the true believers not to be misled and not to be misled by the false teachers and the false preachers, which is easily done. And here in chapter 3, he's saying that these false teachers and preachers will either deny, ignore, undermine, or otherwise despise the reality of the return of Christ. That's always a sign. Now, first of all, he said, know that in the last days, scoffers, some translation says mockers. They will rise, and they will be more in number toward the end of time. They will come. They will come, but they will increase in the last days. They will not only flaunt their immorality, but they will simultaneously disregard any thought of future judgment. You know, a number of years ago, I saw one of those former evangelical preachers who turned bad, was speaking to his audience. And he drew a line, a straight line. 
And he said, how many of you believe that history is linear, that is heading toward a finality, that is heading toward judgment? And by just about every hand was raised. And then he drew the second one of this circle. He said, what if I tell you that history is not linear, that it's circular? And by the way, that's Hindu teaching, not Christian teaching. That the history will keep on going, keep on going, keep on going in circles. And these dupes sitting there saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, they move from one thing to the other by a simple deception. Peter is presenting the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as a fact of future event. It will happen. He is saying, you keep that return of Christ at the forefront of your minds, at the forefront of all your decision-making, at the forefront of your social relationships, at the forefront of your financial planning. You must keep the thought of the coming of Christ constantly throughout your day. He said that I am writing the second letter with the purpose, distinct purpose, of reminding you that this great day will come, so meditate on it. Now, my beloved friends, I want to tell you, the longer I live and the longer I minister, the more I'm absolutely convinced that the wars in the life of a believer takes place between their ears. The Bible said, as a man thinks in his heart, he is. Don't listen to the mockers. Don't listen to the skeptics. Don't listen to the deniers of the truth of the Lord's return. Question, what is the motive of these deniers of the preeminent return of Christ? Why? I don't have the answer. The answer is in the Scripture, verse 3. He said, the real reason that these false teachers deny the second coming of Christ is their own lust and sensuality. What does that mean? Because of their sensuality, or permitting sensuality, they hate the thought of divine judgment. They give themselves a license to pursue all sorts of lustful pleasures, so much so that they hate the thought of a final punishment, of a future punishment. They resent any hint that they will be held accountable for misleading of so many people. And the opposite is true. The opposite is true. Faithful believers who are living with the expectations of the Lord's return, they're continuously purifying themselves. They're continuously becoming every day more like Christ. They feel incentivized to live a holy life, they are encouraged by their reward, that that day of their reward for their faithfulness is coming, and no one can take that away from them. Verse 4, the attitude or the argument of false teachers toward the return of Christ is this. Listen carefully. People have been saying that Christ is coming back for 2,000 years. Nothing happens. Have you heard that? They say, Jesus is not personally coming back for, to take his believers to heaven. Heaven and hell are a state of mind. Uh, they will tell you that the Bible-believing Christians have been crying woof for so long that we don't believe them anymore. 
that these Bible thumpers, they have preached the coming judgment and nothing happens, uh, that these Christians will say, you Christians have been talking about the destruction of the earth for far too long, but we are going to save planet earth. There is no empirical evidence that judgment is coming. Uh, There is a natural explanation for everything that takes place. We are all caught up in a web of natural evolution, and God is part of that evolution, that God is ever-evolving with us, uh, that uh, God is caught up in this whirlwind of change, and He cannot do anything about it. In fact, that's one of those false teachers said the following. Listen to me. He said, if you take out the name God and substitute it with the word change, you get the same thing. I want to scream when he says change equals God and God equals change. And I want to say no, and a million no's. They say every change, including change toward perversion, antithesis to the Word of God and the law of God. This is all synonymous with God, that God is actually permitting this change. God wants that change because God Himself is evolving and changing. Verse 5, Peter's calling these people scoffers. Why? Because they deliberately, they deliberately ignore the fact that God is separate from His universe. Indeed, God is above the universe. God is in control of His universe, and He's the only one who holds the entire universe together by the power of His Word. But there's something else that Peter is telling us here, namely that the result of this induced blindness… I say that to you, it's induced blindness. And beloved, I was talking to a prominent radio talk show being interviewed about my book, and I talked about this induced blindness. I said, we used to read about it in the Bible, but now we're seeing it with our own eyes. Just think with me for a minute, okay? The feminists in America demonstrated the day after inauguration. It was fine. The leader up front is a Muslim woman by the name of Linda Sassur. She is calling for the implementation of Sharia in America. Think about these dupes who, in sympathy, wore the hijab and they were shouting Allah Akbar in Washington, D.C. I said, do you understand this induced blindness? Do you understand what happened if the Sharia is implemented? For in the Sharia, a woman is half of a man and she has no rights whatsoever. Induced blindness. Induced blindness, and we're seeing it now. We used to read about it in the Bible about people being so blinded. We're seeing it with our own eyes. And that's what the false teacher, the teachers are maintaining, this induced blindness. And he said, Peter here saying, that they have discounted two major global events, two major universal events. The first one, the first historical event is the creation. Creation took place by God's Word. The Lord instantly brought the whole universe into being. He did not need pre-existing material. He did not need a blob to make the universe from. He did not need a long period of time. God always existed, but His creation of the universe 
has a beginning and therefore it has an end. Genesis 1 and 2 affirms the young earth, and that is God created the universe in six days, and each day was 24 hours. I love it when I hear people on television saying, you know, we're 25 billion years ago. And I said, where did he get that? And they all mimic each other. It's all 25 billion years ago. <laughs> I mean, this is called shared ignorance. <laughs> Peter said, God created the earth between two areas of watery mass. And that same watery mass, God used to flood the earth in the days of Noah. Which brings Peter to the second global event. The second event that he mentions here is the flood. What happened exactly when God finally had enough of the rebellion and the bloodshed and the disobedience? God took those two watery mass that He put in place, and He got them loose, and they flooded the earth. After the flood in Genesis 9, 11, 12, 13, and 14, 15, God promised never again to destroy the earth by means of a flood. And that is why the coming judgment is not going to be a big flood, but is going to be by fire. And just as water was there to flood the earth at God's command, at God's behest, so will fire. For example, the galaxies consist of billions of burning stars. But more than that, more than that, listen carefully, please. The core of the earth contains a huge volume of molten rock that may be as hot as 12,500 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> think about this, okay? Just think with me. <laughs> Only 10 miles of thick crust, 10 miles, separates humanity from earth's blazing inferno. That's all we have, 10 miles. We all read and heard and studied how destructive the power of nuclear bomb. The whole creation, because its base atomic structure is a potential nuclear bomb. When God is ready, when God is ready, when His time comes, He will use that kind of nuclear energy to destroy the universe. Verse 7. He said he kept the universe for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly people. Don't ever forget that. Of the who? I'm going to come to that because this is important. I don't want you to miss it. Just as the day of Noah, and Jesus himself said that, the return of the Son of Man, the day of the… it was just as in the days of Noah. In Noah's time, it will be in the day of judgment. The similarities are there, namely that those who have rejected the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who kept saying no, no, no to Jesus, will face the judgment. But don't ever forget, the Lord will deliver His own out of the world before He unleashes His final wrath. When I follow you, I want to shout, Hallelujah! He's going to save us. He's going to redeem us. He's going to pull us out of that inferno. I was thinking about this, and I thought of a story of a godly man who literally lived all his life in 
trusting in the Lord and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was many years ago, back in 1780. And he happened to be the Speaker of the House of Representatives at that time. And you'll see what I mean when I tell you the story. Back on May 19 of that year, 1780, noonlight disappeared and became like midnight. It was so dark. People couldn't see where they're going. Utter darkness and extended from New England all the way to Canada. People began to panic. They thought, oh, it's a day of judgment. It's a day of judgment. Well, why the sky turned so black like this? And finally, of course, they discovered later there was a major forest fire, and the cloud was just darkened the sky. But the vast majority of people were terrified because they thought this is the day of judgment. I don't think they would do that now. We've become so callous. At least they had some sensitivities back then. The House of Representatives on that day were meeting in Hartford, Connecticut. And so many of the representatives sought to suspend business in, in the House of Representatives because uh, it got so dark they couldn't even see or could continue business. So many of them feared that it's the end of the world and the day of judgment and want to be, go home. <laughs> so they shouted to the speaker, adjourn this meeting immediately, adjourn this meeting immediately. The speaker of the house at the time, as I said, was a godly man by the name of Colonel Abraham Davenport. And the speaker was so confident in his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He replied, and I'll read, I will not adjourn. The day of judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there's no need to adjourn. If it is, I choose to be found doing my work. Therefore, bring candles. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I often tell people, when the Lord comes back, He's never going to find me in a white robe up in the mountain. He's going to find me working hard. He's going to find me serving. He's going to find me ministering. He's going to find me sacrificing. He's going to find me serving Him until that day comes. Amen. Amen. Verse 8, Peter is saying, Don't forget that a thousand years in the Lord's sight like one day. In fact, he's quoting from Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 4. It says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it's past, and like the watch in the night. Himirat, please. Peter is saying here, Don't ever forget that God's perspective of time is much different from humanity. Finite people cannot confine the infinite God in their time capsules. The day of the return of the Lord was appointed in heaven long ago. And that is why when Moses asked the Lord at the burning bush, who do I tell them sent me? He did not say, go and tell them I was sent you because that would make him the God of the past. He did not say, go and tell them, I will send you, because that will make him the God of the future. But when he said, I am sent you, he is telling them that he is the God of the past, the present, and the future, that he is yesterday, today, and forever, that he is the God who never changes from generation to generation. I am means that he brought the creation into being, and he will bring it to an end at his pleasure. 
And Peter's saying, don't ever forget that we're dealing with the one who's not divided past, present, and future. They're all in front of him. They're all in front of him. He is infinite in his essence. He is absolute in his dominion. He is ultimate in his power. He is transcendent in his glory, and he's your daddy. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Verse 9, Peter supports his teaching regarding the second coming by appealing to the character of God Himself. Listen, any argument that is divorced from the character of God, that's not based upon the character of our God, it can fall apart. But any argument that's built on the character of God and His dealings in the past is a good argument. It's a strong argument. And the thrust of the argument here in verse 9, <laughs> he said, the reason Christ had not returned yet is because God is so patient with sinners. God is waiting, and it's due to His graciousness and long-suffering. It is not because He's not indefinite, and it's not because He's powerless, and it's not because He's distracted. No, the opposite is true. Because He is merciful and long-suffering, He delays so that the elect sinners might come to repentance. Please hear me right. Just as God sent His Son, He sent Him the first time in the fullness of time. It was His timetable. It was His schedule. And so, He will send His Son a second time in the fullness of time, His time. Verse 10, for those who are not waiting for Him, He's going to come suddenly and unexpectedly, just like the five versions. Doesn't, they were all asleep, physically sleeping, but five already. They were waiting. They were anticipating. And the other five got so busy with life's distractions that they forgot about that great day. They were not waiting for Him. And for them, that's going to be a sudden, like a thief in the night. Heaven and earth will pass away. And by heaven here, He speaks of the visible universe, that is the intergalactic space. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one single iota subscript of God's Word will ever pass away. Peter's saying this thing is going to be so loud. It's going to be so loud, every single human being on the face of the earth will hear it. And those who love Jesus, put their whole trust in Jesus, longing to see Jesus, will be a day of rejoicing. It will be a day of rejoicing. If you're a person who never put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you've got to get on first base, you repent of your sins and receive Him as your only Savior and Lord. But I have a challenge for those of you who know the Lord, and many of you are walking with the Lord for many years, and you think about your days and your weeks and your plans, very little of them to do with eternity, everything to do with this life. I want to challenge you today. 
I want to challenge you with one question. I pray to God you never shake it off until you answer it. And I'm going to share it by telling you a true story. A man by the name of Charles G. Finney. He was a fine evangelist, led thousands of people to Christ. Now, I know that if you read about him, you're going to find that Christians disagree about some of his views, and they disagree about some of his thinking and so forth. But listen to me. Uh, don't get bogged down. Just, just listen to the true story of this man. When you know that behind his conversion, such power and force, and then he became motivated in life by serving God and living in the light of his return, you'll understand the totality of his commitment to Christ. Story begins when Charles Finney was in his last year in law school. He was about to graduate the following year. In the summer, he was working as an intern in a law firm out in upstate New York. On this particular morning, he decided he's going to go early before all the lawyers come in, and, and he's going to get the office ready, have it open, and he was sitting there alone for a little bit. And he literally heard the voice of God saying to him, Finney, what are you going to do when you graduate from law school? He glibly said, well, put out shingle and practice law. Then what? Oh, make a lot of money and get rich. Then what? I'll retire. Then what? Die. Then what? And the following words were coming from a stammering lips and trembling lips. And he said, then the judgment. At that thought, Finney left that office, and he walked into the woods. And there he knelt and prayed. And he saw himself standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And he realized that his life's purpose and his life plans all focused on this life. He was totally consumed by his own ambitions and his future. All self-focused. No thought for eternity. Finney came out of the woods. Needless to say, he was a changed man. But after that was a long struggle with the question of purpose. Ultimately, God won that struggle. And Finney dedicated himself to the Lord, and he led thousands upon thousands of people to Christ. Many people say that the impact of that man, life, went for many, many, many years in that area. They said he preached just like a lawyer. <laughs> Here's what I want to leave you with. Please, don't rest until you answer the question to yourself, because it's really between you and God in the end. Then what? Keep asking yourself the question, then what? Then what? Then what? Let the Holy Spirit change whatever answer that you may give that is not focused on eternity. Let God speak to you. Father, I'm so grateful to you that you never leave yourself without a witness. 
and you did not leave us without a witness. Lord, I'm so grateful to you that in your mercy and in your grace, you keep giving us another chance, and another chance, and another chance, just like that gardener in Luke chapter 13, when he kept saying to the owner, let the tree alone for another year. Let me work around it. Let me cultivate it in the hope that it will bear fruit. And God is saying, I have given you one more chance, one more opportunity, so that you may bear fruit, that you may live in the light of eternity. May everyone at the sound of my voice answer the question, then what? I said, Lord Jesus, then I know most assuredly I'm going to hear from your beautiful lips, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.